Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blankets and Boundaries. I'm your guide, Duke Novak. And for today's episode, we are going to discuss the life and work of Janusz Korsak. He was a, a Polish Jewish educator, children's author. Um, he also had a radio show where he spoke about the rights of children. We will discuss his work with children. Uh, he was the head of an orphanage in Warsaw. And we will uh, discuss uh, some of his ideas about working with children and his life story, which is the story of a hero. So let's get started. So Janusz Korsak was born in Warsaw in 1878. And throughout his life, he um, became a doctor, author, radio host, and most of his work centered around the work with children. And one of his, you know, uh, main philosophies about working with children is to give them the, the dignity that they deserve. Uh, he went so far as to, you know, uh, allow the, the children at the orphanage that he eventually headed up in Warsaw. Um, he allowed the children to have their own kind of tribunal <laughs> courts um, and kind of police themselves. And there's a story that even one time uh, Janus Korsak did something wrong and he had to go in front of the, the court of the kids and they handed out a consequence for his, for his behavior. But he really firmly believed in kids uh, deserving uh, to be treated with dignity. Uh, my mother always says a quote, uh, don't underestimate any child. And it's kind of the kind of the same way. He he was able to understand children as well as children were able to understand him. And he spoke to them as young people that were, you know, worthy of being young people. Um and he handed them that respect. And and, go, and going back to my mother's quote, I, I think she came up with this quote because even during my teaching experiences, three-year-olds, uh, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, uh, don't underestimate them. They, are, they know what they're trying to achieve and trying to get what they want and they will... Um, they will manipulate and, and play the game to try to influence um, whoever it is they're dealing with to achieve and, and get what they want. Uh, I, you know, when I substitute teach kindergarten, even kindergartners try to sync the sub. <laughs> very smart, very knowledgeable, very in tune our young people. I, I kind of said this before that their, their superpower is they kind of can see right through you. So you got to ask yourself, are you able to see through the child to their 
to their core or are they seeing through you? And we'll get to some more of Janus's ideas about working with kids. But in 1939, when World War II erupted, um, Corsak, he volunteered for duty in the army, but was refused because of his age. And then he witnessed the takeover of Warsaw. And when the uh, Germans created the ghetto in 1940, his orphanage was forced to move from its building to the ghetto. And uh, Janusz Korsak moved in with them and stayed in the ghetto with, with these children. And then on the 5th or 6th of August, uh, 1942, the German soldiers came to collect the 192 orphans and about one dozen staff members to transport them to the extermination camp. And Korsak had been altered sanctuary I guess many times, but he continually turned it down, saying that he could not abandon his children. And again, on August 5th, he again refused offers of sanctuary, insisting that he would go with the children. And the children were dressed in their best clothes. Um, Each carried a, a blue knapsack and a favorite book or toy. And there was an eyewitness, uh, Joshua Pearl, who kind of wrote about this and said, uh, Janus Korsak was marching, his head bent forward, holding the hand of a child without a hat, a leather belt around his waist and wearing high boots. A few nurses were followed by 200 children dressed in clean and meticulously cared for clothes as they were being carried to the altar. And again, uh, as the story goes, an SS officer recognized Corsac as one of the authors of his favorite children's books and offered to help him escape. And of course, he said no. He refused again. So he boarded the trains with the children and was never heard from again. I guess, uh, according to the author of The Pianist, Vladislaw Spielman. He told the orphans they were going out into the country, so they ought to be cheerful. At last they would be able to exchange the horrible suffocating city walls for meadows of flowers, streams where they could bathe, woods full of berries and mushrooms. He told them to wear their best clothes, and so they came out into the yard, two by two, nicely dressed and in a happy mood. And the little column was led by an SS man. And there were rumors that they had escaped Corsac and the kids, but there was no basis to these rumors. Uh, most likely the children were killed in the gas chamber along with uh, Janus Corsac. Whenever I, I I think about his life and his story, it it touches me deeply. His his passion and devotion to caring for for kids was beyond heroic. It sort of reminds me of the movie Life Is Beautiful when the dad is 
marching off to the gas chamber and he, he does a little kind of funny, silly march because he knows his young son is, is watching. There is a movie called Corsac out there that it's in black and white. Um, it's worth a watch to, to learn about uh, Janus Corsac and, and his life and his story. And it, it just breaks my heart <laughs> um, when, I, when I think about his life and his story um, and his commitment to the children under his care. And he should be an inspiration um, and, a, and a role model for for people who who take this responsibility as uh, as much as he he valued his responsibility i mean this should be a a, a worldwide uh model of how we should hold and care for our kids I'm trying to find a good transition into some of his ideas. But whenever I tell his story, it it's hard to <laughs> move on after that. But I'll read this uh, quote from Haim Genot, I believe. Uh, I might be mispronouncing that. I apologize. But this is a letter that he wrote to his teacher. He says, Dear teacher, I'm a survivor of a concentration camp. My eyes saw what no man should witness. Gas chambers built by learned engineers. Children poisoned by educated physicians. Infants killed by trained nurses. Women and babies shot and burned by high school and college graduates. So I am suspicious of education. My request is... Help your students become human. Your efforts must never produce monsters, skilled psychopaths, educated Eichmanns. Reading, writing, and arithmetic are important only if they serve to make our children more humane. <laughs> this quote hits me hard because... We, we can be educated or ac academically or we can be fed knowledge and we, and we can even climb really high on the line of knowledge and attain some sort of intellectual growth. But that, if it's not, balanced with a, a moral growth can be very scary. There are many highly educated people that have caused a lot of destruction because as, maybe as, as smart or intellectual they may have, they may have taken themselves 
they haven't taken themselves the same distance on the moral line of development or the ethical line of development. So you got someone really, really smart, but maybe really, really narcissistic. Um, so it's very important that not only do we teach our children, like this quote is suggestion, suggesting that we don't just teach our children reading, writing, and arithmetic, or we teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic only to serve, to make our children more humane. But if we're teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic and leaving out the, the part about caring for other people and our humanity and our heart, we have to ask if we're doing a disservice. So the work of you know, Janus Corsak and anyone who works with kids should be focusing on not only the academic areas, but also the humane and spiritual and moral aspects of being, being here on this planet. And right now in our society, I think we're trying to decide what some of those things, those moral concepts that we can can teach our kids. There's a big argument, you know, over the culture and what our culture should should value and and what our culture should teach our young people. So this is a man who's definitely one of my role models. And we're going to now go into um, this book. It's called Lev Loving Every Child, Wisdom for Parents. And Janus Korsak uh, wrote a lot of this book. It was edited by Sandra Joseph. And there's a forward by Ari Goldman. One of the first thing Janus Corsex says is, know yourself before you attempt to get to know children. Become aware of what you yourself are capable of before you attempt to outline the rights and responsibilities of children. First and foremost, you must realize that you too are a child whom you must first get to know, bring up, and educate. So here's his first little edict is to know yourself before you attempt to try to get to know children. I think this is a very um, important idea. Um, I told a story in another episode that I'm going to repeat here in this episode because I just think it's so important to know yourself and to know what you're capable of before you start putting boundaries on your kids. 
I'm a firm believer in you cannot ask kids to to do something like set a boundary for a kid that you cannot live with yourself. I mean, I, I see it a lot in education with cell phones. How can you tell kids to get off your cell phone if the teacher's on theirs all the time? Or the administrators are walking through the halls checking their, you know, their Facebook messages or their calendars or, or whatever may be on their cell phones. Um, so you, you can't ask children. I, I see it a lot with social emotional learning too. If, if you're not, you can't just teach the curriculum. If, if you can't embody what you're teaching to a certain degree, then it, it's going to fall on deaf ears and, the, and children will be able to see right through you. And it won't land. And the story I'm referring to is the one I heard from Gandhi's son talking about oh, one time there was a woman in the village who was having problems with her son. Because every time the son would walk through the living room where there was a, a bowl of chocolates, he would eat them. And the mom, you know, asked Gandhi, what do I do? He's he's getting fatter. He's unhealthy. He keeps eating these chocolates that I put out. And I'm not sure what to do. And Gandhi said, give me a week. Give me a week. What? type of chocolates are they? Okay. Thank you. Give me a week and I'll come back to you. And basically what Gandhi did was put a bowl of chocolates on his living room table, walked past it for a week to see if he could refrain from eating a chocolate. And he did. So at the end of the week, he went up to this mother and said, can I talk to your son? And she said, oh, yeah, sure, of course you can. He goes up to the sun, he, you know, gets down and looks the sun in the eye and says, so I, I just want you to know I've had a bowl of chocolates on my table for a week and I was able to walk past it without, you know, taking one of the chocolates and, and eating it. And the bowl of chocolates is still there. So if I can do this, I, I'm, I know you can. And I'm asking you to just stop eating the chocolates when you walk by. And the kid looked at Gandhi and, okay, sounds good. If you can do it, I can do it. And never ate one of the chocolates again. And and this is because Gandhi had to first <laughs> prove to himself that he was able to do what he was about to ask the child to do. And if he would have eaten some of those chocolates walking back and forth, then he wouldn't have asked the kid to stop. You cannot teach kids or, or place boundaries on kids that you cannot live by yourself. And that's what Janus Korsak is saying here. Know yourself. Know what you're capable of before you start imposing these ideas onto, onto your kids. And, and it's a deep knowing of yourself and it's a listening to yourself. You know, he says, uh, we're children. We're, we're, we're children and we must first get to know 
bring up and educate the child in us. So very, very important lesson um, that I feel uh, is you got to, you got to practice, take care of yourself. You know, self-care is another um, thing that comes up quite often. And, And the reason we take care of ourselves is so we can take care of others. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, it becomes very hard to take care of others. And you're showing whoever you're trying to care for that you can't even care for yourself. So, again, and the, the I and the, the work that we need to do on ourselves is, is just as important as the work that we need to do with the people that are under our care. Here's another page. He says, the child is like a butterfly hovering above a raging torrent of life. How to imbue her with toughness without encumbering her lightness in flight? How to temper her without wetting her wings? Should one offer one's own example, help, advice, and words? But what if she rejects them all? So then he says, just remember, a child hungry for advice and direction will absorb it, digest it, and assimilate it. Overfed with moral rules, the child will suffer from nausea. <sighs> you know, this, this makes me think of um, the uh, religious um, education and, and how to teach young people uh, morality and empathy. Because as Janice is explaining, if we, you know, just pump them with these, this moral advice and moral rules that the kid just becomes overwhelmed and it is unable to digest, <laughs> digest everything that's it's being fed to them and, and they become nauseous. Um, D.W. Winnicott, <laughs> who also had a radio show <laughs> around this time and spoke to parents um, kind of echoes this sentiment and he talks about uh, the false self that can be created too early uh, if if we're constantly, you know, trying to get our kids to comply and be these, you know, little moral angels um, too early on, that they have to experience some of these emotions and, and things on their own time and able to explore that and feel that uh, so that they don't become um, these kind of false little selves, uh, good girls and good boys um, that are clearly just kind of appeasing uh, the other. And then they, they kind of lose track with their own inner, inner life. Um, in their own, as Winnicott calls it, the true self, um, the the inner desires, uh, and that they're just covered over. Uh, if 
if they're covered over too quickly that this false self uh, gets generated in the child uh, too early and that becomes their their identity and that um, if you look around there's a lot of people walking around with just these false selves um, Winnicott kind of you know says it's the the zombie effect sort of uh, people out of touch with um their maybe parts of their truer nature um he even goes so far as you know allowing kids to feel hate and anger is important uh so that they get in touch with their their true feelings so just as Janus Korsak is is saying this is as well that uh, they will absorb it, digest it, assimilate it, but overfeeding them with more rules will just create uh, nausea and, and a false sense of self. Now, uh, the final little excerpt I'm going to read uh, is also very good. <laughs> so here we go. As a parent, you say, She's supposed to be healthy, so why does she keep crying? Why is she so thin? Why does she not suckle properly? Why does she not sleep? Why does she sleep so much? Why does she have such a big head? Why does she clench her fists? Why is her skin so red? What about the spots on her nose? Why does she squint, hiccup, sneeze, choke, sound hoarse? Is this normal? You look at this small, helpless thing, which does not resemble any of the other equally small and toothless creatures in the street or in the park. Can it be that in three, four months, she too will become like them? So then he says, just remember, when is the proper time for a child to start walking? When she does. When should her teeth start cutting? When they do. How many hours should a baby sleep? As long as she needs to. This is you know, uh, a very important little lesson here too. We, we want our children to be, you know, somewhat perfect in our eyes. And we worry and we over obsess and we try to control their environments, their worlds, so that nothing harms them. And then when they can't sleep or whatever, we, we get all worried. Why aren't they sleeping? And we try to control, you know, I, I think there's sleep training out there for, for parents, you know, training your kid to sleep. These are, are little people. <laughs> they're they're uh, human animals very complex brains. Um, the development is uh, not the same as just like an animal in nature. Our, our brains develop very differently. Um, and we, we really strive to, we really strive to try to control everything about these these little folks and and you can't 
control everything in life. You just can't. Life doesn't work that way. Uh, when I was, my daughter was an infant, one of my favorite lines was, hey, whatever works. Whatever works in this moment. Um, parents today, there's there's so many books, podcasts, experts, sleep training, eating training, all this training to really try to micromanage our infants. Janu says, when is the proper time for a child to start walking? When she does. But we get this obsessive parenting reaction that we don't want anything to go wrong. And if something seems to be wrong, then we, we worry, 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 worry. I mean, human beings, I don't feel can be formed. <laughs> Children cannot be formed and controlled. I, I, I think one of the stories that really, uh, is a good example of this is uh, the parents of Siddhartha. They, they got a prophecy when Siddhartha was a baby that he was going to grow up to be a, either a king or a spiritual leader. And what parents want their kid to grow up to be a spiritual leader and not a king. So what they did was they controlled everything about young Siddhartha's life. Siddhartha was in the palace walls, was never able to go out of the palace walls, was given the best education, giving gave him the best um, food, whatever, whatever he desired he could have, women, food, activities. It was just like this perfectly controlled environment because they did not want Siddhartha to have any sort of hope for um, or any sort of chance that he would become a spiritual leader. They wanted him to become a king. So what they did was they just controlled his life, his childhood. But like, you know, a lot of teenagers, young adults, he, you know, uh, left the palace one night you know, jump out the window and, and see what's out there. And he realized that he was um, just as much prone to old age, sickness and death as anybody else. And it blew his mind. What do you mean? This is what we become. I, you mean my parents can't control my life to the point where I, you know, don't have to get old, sick, or, or die? That this is the outcome of all of our lives? And because he saw this, 
he, you know, did exactly the opposite of what his parents were trying to do. He left the palace. He practiced every spiritual practice he could. And he became enlightened. He was trying to answer the question, why do we suffer? And he, and he practiced all these spiritual practices. He still didn't have his answer, so he sat under a tree, a Bodhi tree, said, I'm not moving until I have some, some wisdom. And he came out of that enlightened and became the Buddha. So we can, it's, it's kind of counter to what we're wanting by trying to control our children's lives. And why aren't they walking yet? Why aren't they, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Oh my gosh. They'll walk when they walk. They'll eat when they're hungry. They'll sleep when they're tired. So really trusting yourself to raise kids and care for kids and trying to set those anxieties aside and be present So this is kind of the question I want to tackle today. You know, parents often will ask me, why is my kid, you know, um, not listening to me? Why, when I ask my child to do something, they don't do it. And usually the parents that are asking me these types of questions are quite anxious themselves. I can, I can see it. Um, I can see that they're worried a lot. I can see that they're anxious a lot. Um, probably over-obsessing about why isn't my ch- child listening to me. And they get emotionally in- involved in this situation. And then they ask me, how do I, you know, fix this problem? And, and what it seems to me is that it's kind of, they want their kids to listen to them. They want them to behave, but that they, they just expect it. It's just like an expectation. They should be listening to me. They should be behaving. Why should they be? And they're not. <laughs> so maybe taking a step back, I, I educators too, even at, me as a social worker, if I'm not getting through to a kid, I got to stop and say, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? How am I responsible for this? What can I do differently? Um, 
And that's a tough question. I, I don't think many people ask that question of themselves. How am I responsible? What can I do differently? Because uh, what's that definition of insanity? Trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. This is what I see is like this anxious parenting and really trying to force or just expect the kids to behave in a certain way. But trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result instead of stepping back, reflecting and saying, okay, well, how am I, you know, how am I responsible for what is happening and what can I do differently? Like really looking inside yourself. We kind of started about that, knowing yourself and raising the child within. What what could I do differently? This clearly is not working. And I don't know why it's not working. And I keep trying the same things over and over again and it's still not working. So that reflection piece is, is important. Um, instead of, you know, making excuses, which <laughs> as humans, we're very good at like justifying uh, or making an excuse why things are the way they are. Instead of taking some genuine reflection time and, and questioning your part in the whole thing. So that's the episode for today on Janus Corsak. Um, if you get a chance, Loving Every Child, Wisdom for Parents. It's an excellent book edited by Sandra Joseph. Uh, and thanks for joining me today. Uh, I enjoy talking about this stuff and, and ways that we can better care for our kids. So take care, everyone, and I'll see you next time.